You're listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. The Book of Concord. Have you read the Book of Concord? Do you know what the Book of Concord is? That is what we're looking at today. How is the Book of Concord an important part of the life of a Christian today, of a, a Lutheran today? Thanks for joining me. You're listening to Faith and Family. Thanks to our friends at Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting Faith and Family. Find out about them on our website, kfuo.org. You'll find them in the sponsors section. Just look for CUW, Concordia University, Wisconsin. Joining me by phone today, the Reverend Kurt Onkin, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Marysville, Washington. Also authored an article in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, Five Reasons Everyone Should Read the Book of Concord. Pastor Onkin, welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for having me. A pleasure to have you with us today and looking forward to talking about your writing in the September issue of the Lutheran Witness, particularly on the Book of Concord. Tell me, when did you, Pastor, when did you first uh, learn about the Book of Concord? When did you first encounter the Book of Concord? Well, it's funny that you ask that because I have my first copy of the Book of Concord sitting in front of me right now that I <laughs> bought. Um, I'm assuming it was back when I, I honestly don't remember exactly, but I'm assuming I got this back when I was a student at <clears throat> excuse me at Christ College Irvine, which is now Concordia Irvine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went there for a year and a quarter, and then transferred to a state college because I uh, figured church work was not for me, but that didn't work out so well. Uh, <laughs> so ended up going to uh, uh, state college for an art degree and then um, taught high school art for a while. And then uh, after a few years of that, decided to go to seminary after all. So yeah, I have a copy of the Book of Concord that we, we must have used. I mean, that was so long ago, we must have used that in um, you know, introduction to Christianity class, uh, one of the theology classes that I probably took, but I, I I don't remember, but I, I know this was my first copy here, so that was the first time I would have been introduced to that. I'm uh, actually uh, uh, sorry that I, I mean, you know, I may have learned about it in church uh, growing up. Maybe the pastor might have mentioned it, but I don't remember him talking about it. But um, I do try to talk about it with my congregation, and uh, when the um, reader's edition of the Book of Concord came out, Concordia, that uh, CPH published a few years ago, we, I made sure I advertised it and encouraged everybody to get a copy of it. So we've used it in Bible class and uh, other uh, group activities. As you started to study the Book of Concord, what did you learn about it? What was surprising to you as, or or maybe not surprising? What was it like as you studied it, as you learned more in the Book of Concord? Well, I think uh, when I really delved into it was, of course, a seminary. And um, I what uh, struck me, of course, first and foremost, was uh, some of the things that I already knew about. Uh, the, the three ecumenical creeds are in there, uh, the Apostles, Nicene, and Athanasian Creed. The, the Book of Concord starts out with those, uh, connecting uh, the Lutheran Confession of Faith to the Church of the Ages, you know, the, the, the ancient church that uh, confessed the Christian faith, uh, our Trinitarian confession, uh, Christ at the center, and uh, his salvation by grace. And so that was uh, that. that's where the Book of Concord starts. So it's like, oh, I, I know that stuff. I, I've seen that before. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, the small catechism is in there. Uh, learned that growing up, of course, in uh, Lutheran parochial school and confirmation class. I was familiar with that. Uh, of course, this is not the... Um, explanation that we have in our bigger books that uh, many people use in their confirmation classes, The, but just, you know, the questions and answers, the 
uh, I, I always introduce this to my uh, confirmation classes and uh, adult instruction classes by having to pull just those few little pages at the beginning of of the small catechism with an explanation. I said, that's the part that Luther wrote right there, not the rest of it. The other teachers in the Church have written those questions and answers to help unpack the teachings of the catechism and uh, and the Bible, uh, the catechism being a roadmap to the Bible. But then also just the, um, I, I think... Uh, the contemporary nature of the Book of Concord, too. I mean, it's um, it's a 16th century document. It's the confessions of the Church from the 16th century, the, the, the several documents that uh, became the uh, what the Lutheran Church stands on, what we believe, teach, and confess. Um, but boy, it has such a uh, almost a contemporary feel to it because. Um, you know, as the preacher in Ecclesiastes said, um, there's nothing new under the sun. And so uh, so we have the basic teachings that we need to know as God's people, uh, but then there's also the controversies that are addressed also, the false teachings that are addressed in the Book of Concord, and um, these things rear their head all the time. And so um, uh, having those confessions to um, to combat those false false doctrines, we, we have them uh, all laid out there in the in the Book of Concord for us. Well, let's dig in deeper. What is the Book of Concord? You've used the word confessions a number of times. What what is this Book of Concords? These what are these these confessions? Sure. Um, so when we hear the word confession, oftentimes we think about fessing up to something <laughs> that uh, that we've done wrong, and that's one aspect of that word. And we do that in the divine service and in the private confession with our pastors when we uh, feel the need to do that. Um, but also, you know, the word confess uh, also means to say right along with. Uh, it's kind of the root meaning of that word in English anyways, and comes from the, the Latin. Uh, and so what are we doing when we confess? We are saying right along with what God has already said in His Word. And so uh, that's important. That's, a, that's an important aspect of the Christian faith, is to confess our faith. Um, one of the things I talked about on Sunday, as a matter of fact, uh, I preached on the epistle reading from Philippians 2, and um, Paul encourages the Philippians to, to hold, hold fast to the Word of life. And um, he says to shine as, shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, and uh, some translations say hold out or hold forth the word of life, and, and I said, you know, it's it's both, isn't it? I mean, we hold fast to the word of life, we um, uh, trust God's word, and then we hold it out, too, and so we confess it. So the Book of Concord is a compilation of what we confess, and we say that um, uh, the Book of Concord is... Um, not uh, equal to Scripture, uh, but it is an accurate exposition of what uh, God's Word teaches us. And then, um, you know, our pastors and teachers and congregations in our synod are um, supposed to unconditionally subscribe to these documents, saying this is what we hold to as Lutherans. And um, so, uh, so it, it's, a, it's a nice little summary, if you will, of, of, again, what we say are the central teachings of God's Word and how we respond to those uh, false doctrines that, that certainly do arise. Some might say this was written at, at the time of the Reformation. This was written in the 1500s. How is that even relevant to 
uh, to us today. It, it's probably lit, written in a language that we don't understand. Why should we care to read it today? And maybe an, an example that you might share. Sure. Well, I mean, it, it certainly uh, points us to Christ. Um, that's the, the central teaching of Scripture, and in the Book of Concord also as a witness to the centrality of salvation by grace through faith in uh, our Lord Jesus and what He's done for us at the cross, uh, our, being our substitute. And, uh, and in fact, you know, the biggest article uh, in uh, the, the whole Book of Concord is from the Oxford Confession. That's, that's the confession that was written in 1530 uh, after the—so, and then it, it comes in the in the order of the Book of Concord, you've got the uh, the creeds, which connect us to the ancient Church, and then you have the Augsburg Confession, which was uh, became the primary confession of the Lutheran Church at that time. And um, the Article Four is on justification, and that's the longest confession. Well, I shouldn't say in the Augsburg Confession, in the apology to the Augsburg Confession. Now, it should probably unpack that word too. It doesn't mean gee, we're sorry that we said all this. Uh, apology uh, means defense. And so uh, after the Oxford Confession was written, then the uh, Roman Catholic uh, theologians wrote a confutation to the Oxford Confession, say this is where we disagree with this. And so then Philip Melanchthon, the author of the Oxford Confession, he was a colleague of Martin Luther at the University of Wittenberg, then he wrote the apology to, uh, to defend uh, the Lutheran teachings. And, and that's where we find, you know, Article 4, it's not, not that long in the Oxford Confession, but in the Apology, yeah, that's the biggest article in the whole Book of Concord. And again, just showing the centrality of that, and that's important for us today. And even the way the Oxford Confession is um, outlined, you know, the way the articles follow or fall and the way they're, they're written, um, it, uh, it's almost a... If you will, an evangelistic tool to help us to learn how to present the gospel to people, because it starts with uh, who God is, and then it right away it talks about original sin. Article two is about original sin, the fact that we are fallen creatures and uh, we are sinful and we uh, have not measured up to God's perfect holy standard. And then Article three talks about Christ and what He's done for us at the cross. Uh, and then Article 4 is justification, the fact that, uh, uh, yes, Jesus died for us, but then what does that mean for us? Well, uh, he declares us to be not guilty. And then Article 5 is about the office of the ministry. Okay, Jesus declares us not guilty, but how is that delivered to us? Well, it's delivered to us through the office of the ministry and the delivering of the Word and sacrament in, in, in the congregation and, and so forth. And so, um, and then it gets into baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the sacraments, uh, later on, but um, it's just, uh, it, again, it has a very, uh, very contemporary application. These, these ancient words have very contemporary applications for us. So how do you go about reading the Book of Concord? What, uh, any tips on how to begin reading or uh, how to make it a, a regular practice? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it has. It does have a very. Uh, I, I say there are parts of it that have a very devotional flavor to it. Um, as I mentioned in the article, you know, when you read dogmatic textbooks, and I'm sure I made a lot of uh, seminary professors mad at me 
if they saw my comments that, you know, there's a lot of dogmatic textbooks, let's face it, that are kind of dry and, and dusty. But I mean, if you're, the, if you, if you're interested in that, it's not, but for a lot of lay people, they might not be all that interested in reading some of these, uh, heavy tomes. Um, but, um, uh, not, not all dogmatic textbooks are, are dry and dusty. Don't get me wrong. But, um, uh, so some people might think, oh, the uh, the Book of Concord is going to be like that. I don't want to. That's just for the pastors. But you know, when you really dig into it, it's very lively. Um, and so I would start with um, Luther because Luther has a very down to earth, uh, lively way of writing. So I would probably start with the large catechism in there and just you know, I mean, just read a little bit at a time. Read um, a few pages at a time. Get started, or, or if the person is. Um, very ambitious. You can read a whole article, um, and then uh, then they just go to the Augsburg Confession after that, and and, and just see how um, how how very um, how very lively it is to to read um, these words that you know come to us from 500 years ago. Um, the um, the 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 one that CPH published, the Reader's Edition, they have a. I think, if I remember correctly, there is a reading schedule in the front of the book. I'm almost positive there is. Uh, so, you know, that way it's lined, it's laid out for you. What do I read today? And kind of have a regular system of reading, like uh, the Bible devotion reading. And that's where the Treasury of Daily Prayer comes in so handy. That's another wonderful book that uh, Concordia Publishing House uh, put out a few years ago. It has daily readings and... Um, uh, orders of service in there for every day, and then it has a suggested reading from the Book of Concord every day. And so, I mean, that way a person gets into a a regular uh, discipline and system of reading it regularly, and then uh, and then and having that book opened up to you, seeing um, you know how rich it is, and it's just full of, full of uh, all kinds of things to all kinds of treasures to take away from, especially Jesus. So start with perhaps the. Uh, the large catechism, and move on to the the Augsburg Confession. What happens when we start to read this, whether individually or as a family or in a small group? What do you see happening as we as we read and study and, and discuss the the confessions found in the Book of Concord? Well, of course, it points us uh, to the centrality of uh, of Christ um, and what He's done for us at the cross. And also drives us back to Scripture, too. I mean, that's the, the most important thing that we ought to be spending time in is God's Word. Um, but, you know, God's Word is—the uh, the, Bible's a big book, and it, uh, and it can be uh, overwhelming sometimes. And, um, uh, and there's, a, there's a lot of different people in the world that uh, have interpreted the Bible differently. Um, and, you know, how do, how do we— determine what is the proper way of interpreting the scriptures uh, and and the uh, the book of Concord helps us with that in terms of properly dividing law and gospel and um, and then and driving us back to the scriptures I think that's uh, one thing that can certainly happen as you read the book of Concord together as a family and um, there's a scriptural quotations throughout then and, and so that it, it drives us back to the scriptures which drives us to Jesus. Um, I think that's that's one certainly one benefit to that, it, and it just you know help help to um, also see that connection that we have with Christians from the past and the way they dealt with 
um, the issues that, that they were dealing with at, at that time. Um, one of the points I made in the article, uh, by reasons to be conquered, and one of them was because it's it's exemplary. And and what I meant by that was, it it shows us how we confess the faith, and uh, we are not afraid to uh, to speak the truth, and we're not afraid to confess the truth. But we do it also uh, gently and with respect, as St. Peter urges us. Um, and, and the Book of Concord is very much that way. It's very much, uh, uh, it's, not, uh, it's not written in a, oh, uh, you know, a, a polemical, hostile fashion. Uh, some of Luther's writings were certainly like that. And that was the style of the day, uh, calling your opponents names and such. You know, and they would call him names back. And uh, we, we read these things. And we think, my goodness, these, these people were rough on each other. But uh, that was, uh, one, in one sense, the style of the day. You won't find that in the, uh, in, in the Book of Concord. The Book of Concord is much more straightforward, confessing just simply what the Scripture says and, and, and pointing us back to the Bible. Would you say that studying the Book of Concord may help us in uh, articulating, speaking, confessing the faith, and perhaps being... Uh, faithful witnesses as well, you know, in our everyday lives, speaking, uh, speaking the word of God and, and, and being a witness? Absolutely. Uh, as I said, if you, when you look at the, the outlines of the articles and, and every one of the, every one of the, the documents in there, even uh, Luther's small called articles too, it, it, it does the same thing. It's similar to um, uh, the outlines of the Oxford Confession. Uh, and so you can kind of, um, you know, have, have that, in your in your toolbox, so to speak, in terms of well, how how am I going to confess the faith and talk to people in my everyday life, and what do I believe and teach? And then also uh, again, some of the, the controversies and the false doctrines that uh, arise um, when we read the, the formula of Concord, for example, the one of the later confessions in the book, uh, the Book of Concord was compiled all together in 1580, 1577 was the formula of Concord was written, and um, that one deals uh, with some of the controversies that arose after Luther's death and some of the, uh, the, the false teachings that, that arose. Um, for example, um, you know, the doctrine of, uh, the doctrine of uh, free will. Uh, you hear a lot of Christians today talking about um, that I have free will to choose Jesus, to make a decision for Christ, and so forth. And as Lutherans, we say, no, God's the one who chooses us, and so that was certainly an issue that reared its head in, in those days. Uh, so again, nothing new under the sun, right? Uh, and so the Formula of Concord has an article that deals with that, and so you can use that and, again, have that in your, in your, uh, your toolbox to talk to people about why we believe that, no, we don't have any free wills in spiritual matters. I mean, I can choose whether to go to Baskin-Robbins or go to Ted Drew's to have custard, uh, and I wish we had those out here because I love them, <laughs> but, uh, but in spiritual matters, uh, we don't have that free will. God's one who chooses us, and uh, through the Holy Spirit gives us faith to believe, and this is all laid out for us in, in the Book of Concord, in the Formula of Concord. One might say, an opponent might say, that uh, we have one uh, one book, and that is the Bible. 
we believe in one book, the Bible. Uh, you've got this book of Concord. It, that's like, um, you know, the, say the, the Book of Mormon or something like that. Sure. What, what, how would you respond to that? Exactly. You know, right. The, 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 the Bible is our sole source of authority for faith and life. Uh, that's the only book, uh, the only books that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, inerrant, and, uh, and that's our sole source of, 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 of authority for, for our life and our faith. Uh, the Book of Concord is a, uh, well, we would, in, uh, in, in theology, we say that the, the, the Bible is the sole norm, and then the Book of Concord is the, the norm that is normed. It's normed by Scripture. And, uh, but we don't look at it in terms of uh, having fallen out of heaven, uh, nor is it inspired writing in any sense uh, in terms of the way we say that the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but certainly, uh, it's, it's a book that uh, it has, uh, has that, the, the benefit of helping us to simply you know, unpack what uh, some of the things that scriptures say, it's what the scriptures say, and to be able to clearly have a, uh, a confession of faith. And, you know, a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, churches don't have this, this type of gift that we have, and I, I, I call it a gift because um, uh, this is what we can point to and say this is what we believe, teach, and confess because there's a, lot of other, uh, there's a lot of other confessions out there, a lot of other confessions of faith and what people say the Bible teach. You'll, you'll have some people that say, uh, we have no creed but Christ. Well, I'm not sure what that means, because a lot of people have a lot of different ideas about who Christ is, or we have no creed but the Bible. Well, there's a lot of different people that claim the Bible and, and use the Bible and come up with some very different things as to what Lutherans say, for example, denying infant baptism, denying the real presence of the body and blood of Christ in the sacrament of the altar. So uh, so it's important to have... Um, a confession of faith uh, clearly delineated so that we can uh, use it, study it, and um, have it in black and white and be able to, to show people this is what we believe, this is what we teach, this is what we confess. That's the blessing of the Book of Concord. I guess today the Reverend... Kurt Onken, pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Marysville, Washington, author of Five Reasons Everyone Should Read the Book of Concord in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness. Pastor Onken, a delight to have you with us today. Thanks for the encouragement to read the Book of Concord on a regular basis and help us uh, to, that helps us to be clear and faithful in our confession and, and bold witnesses as well. A pleasure to have you on the program today. Thank you for being my guest. Thank you so much. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu.